Open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Tonight we're going to approach our study maybe a little bit differently. We're going to continue our study of the book of Proverbs, but we're going to approach it maybe a little bit differently. We know that God's Word is truth. He tells us that in His Word. We know that God's Word is truth. We know that this is the wisdom of God who is infinite in wisdom. His Word also tells us that. And so we know this is the wisdom of God, infinite in wisdom. We know that He is giving it to us. That's why we have it. That's why He's gone to these links that we would be able to study it. He is giving us His wisdom. We are blessed to hear it. We are blessed to accumulate it. More than that, we are blessed to put it into practice and to live it out. It is the best way to live. Now, I think I've said those things before. I think I've said those things, in fact, many times. But tonight I want to come maybe at a different angle. I want to approach this a little bit differently tonight. Go with me. Follow with me. I want you to think about this. God knows you. And I'm talking about personally. God knows you. God sees you. God cares for you. Now, I get that from his word, from his scripture. God knows you. God sees you. God cares for you. God right now knows what you're dealing with. God knows what you have dealt with. Here's something very interesting. He knows what you're about to deal with. God knows you. God speaks through his word, and this is how he speaks to us. Now, we believe that. This is his voice. This is his message to us. These are his words. The Bible says that of itself. That is the testimony of Scripture. Do you believe that? This is God's word. He speaks to us through his word. Now, not only that, but this is not a dead word. This is not a history book. This is not a biology book. If you've noticed, those books are limited to the day in which they were written, to the information they possessed on that day. And so they have to be updated as new things become available. They have to be revised. And so you have the third revision of some textbook. This is not like that book. This book, of itself, it says it is living and active. God's Word is living and and active. So what if tonight, listen very carefully, God has a message for you. Now God always has a message in his word, but what if our living and active God, through his living and active word, who knows what you've dealt with, who knows what you're dealing with, who knows what you're about to deal with, what if he has instruction for you tonight? Now, that's pretty awesome to think about. The things I'm dealing with, the hard things, maybe the good things, the things I'm trying to put into perspective, the things that are about to come. Maybe he's preparing you for those things. And so maybe that is how we are to listen tonight. Maybe we come and we say, God, speak tonight. God, I am listening tonight. God, prepare me through your living an active word tonight. And so maybe that's how we approach it tonight. All right, last time we went to verse 5, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Tonight we're going to pick up again in verse 6. So Proverbs chapter 22, beginning back tonight in verse 6. All right, here we go, verse by verse. 
Verse 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we've heard that a bunch of times. Listen to that again. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we may ask the question, how are we to raise our kids? I think it's an interesting thing. We have to determine what we're going to put in, what we're going to leave out. Uh, what, what, how do we raise our kids? What, what can we not afford to mess up in the raising of our kids? Well, God's Word actually gives us a pattern to follow, gives us a command to follow. It says this, train. I'm going to go word by word through this verse. Train, train up a child, train. Now notice the word train. It's not tell them the way in which they should go. It's not preach to them the way in which they should go. It's not even point them to the way in which they should go. It's actually this very deliberate word, train, train. Now think about that for a second. Think about the bigness of that word. If I'm going to train you for a job, Here's your job. You're going to do these things. It's very important. It's critical that you're able to do these things. And I'm going to train somebody for that job. Or we're going to train for an event. Here's coming the Olympics or some other event. And, and we're going to have to compete in that event. And so we train for that event. Well, think about it. In those understandings, in that context, if we are training for those things, it actually becomes the focus. You're training for that job. It becomes the focus. You're training for this future event. It becomes the focus. Now, part of that is you have to teach. And so you're training for these things. You're training here. You have to teach. Now, not only that, you have to demonstrate. You have to show. You have to be an example. Not only that, you have to correct. And that's part of it. You have to discipline. Hey, that's not it. That's not how it works. Not only that, you have to reward. Yes, that's how it works. Yes, good job. You have to repeat. And maybe that's the frustrating part. You go through it, and then you have to go through it again. And you teach, and you set an example, and you correct, and you discipline. But guess what? It's not over. You have to repeat those things. You have to begin to give responsibility. They have to be able to do it. You know what? Here's the job. You have to ease into the job. Here's the race. You have to actually start to run the race. You have to give them the responsibility. Then you have to test them in it. Are they prepared? Have they mastered what they have to this point? And it begins to grow with time. That is the idea of this one word, train, train. The role of a parent is that huge. And maybe that's why we say that's too complicated, that's too heavy, that's too big. As a parent, our role, according to God's word, is that of training. All right, next word. Up. Up. Train up. It is a progression. It is something that is growing. And you take a couple steps and maybe it slows down. Maybe it speeds up. Maybe it takes a step backward. But it is a growing thing. The picture here is something that is stacking. You're adding to it, and it goes up. Maybe it's a foundation, and it takes a step up. And then you build on that, and it takes a step up. And it is a growing thing. Notice it says here, they are trained up. 
They're not torn down. I think there's parents sometimes that that's the idea is we have to pull the things out from under them and they they're have this attitude. They're not torn down. They are trained up. Then it says this, in the way he should go, in the way they should go. That means walking with God. In the day that this was written, it's talking about walking with God. For us, listen to me, for us, that means receiving, knowing, and walking with Jesus. If you want to know the direction your kids are to go, you want to know the goal that you're training for, for us, that is receiving, knowing, and walking with Jesus. Now, let me tell you, you say, well, how do you know that? It's because if you're going any other way, you're going the wrong way. If your kids are, are doing excellent all these things, but they're not going that way, receiving, knowing, and walking with Jesus, they're going the wrong way. So are you as well. So then the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we help them know who Jesus is? How do we help them, based upon that knowledge, receive him in faith? How do we encourage them to then walk with him? Here's this, one way. It is through the word of God. It is through the word of God. They have to know the Jesus of the word of God. Have you noticed this? There's a whole lot of versions of Jesus, and I think those versions are multiplying. There's this version of Jesus, and there's that version of Jesus, and there's this false Mormon idea of Jesus, and here's the Muslim idea of Jesus. There's all sorts of ideas about Jesus. They have to know the Jesus of the Word. They have to receive the Jesus of the Word. Not just any version of Jesus saves us. It is the one that died for us, that, that stands as the victor, that is our Savior for sin. They have to receive the Jesus of the Word. Then they have to walk in obedience with the Jesus of the Word. It's His commands that lead us. It's His directing, His voice that we follow. Do you see the process is going to be an intensive training in the Word of God? That's what it is. Train up your child the way they should go. It's an intensive training in the Word of God. Here's what people say. Well, I took my kids to church. I don't know what happened. I've heard that. Well, I, you know, I took them to church. I don't, I don't know how this has happened. I took them to VBS nine straight years. I don't know how this has happened. I tried. This is training in the person and the word of Christ. Now, what that means is this. They have to know it. We have to know it to show it to them. They have to explain it. We have to explain it. We have to model it. They begin to walk it. We have to show them how. We have to reward them in the process. We have to correct them in the process. It is a huge effort training them in the Christ of the Word and the Word of Christ. Now listen, here's what God's Word says. And if they have received that, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me ask you a question. Is that true? Is that true? I've thought a lot about that. Do people always stay with it? And I said, man, that was a good home. It looked like to me. Those were good parents. It looked like to me. I saw how they grew up, but maybe those kids have gone a different direction. Is that always true? Is that always how it ends? 
Now there are some commentaries and they say this. This verse is a premise, not a promise. And they would say it's a, it's a guideline. It's a premise, but not a promise. Now that, that may be true, but when I hear that, let me just tell you, I'm going to be honest. That sounds like crazy talk to me. Because when I read this, it says they will not turn away from it. And so if we're going to say, well, they could, they might, well, that's not what the Bible says. And it sounds like a built-in excuse if we're going to say that. Here's what I think. Now listen, follow with me. I think if you find the truth and you actually know the truth and you personally embrace the truth, here's what I believe. I believe you can't set the truth down. Let me give you an example. Kind of goofy, but, but you should expect that. Stove burners, when they're on, are hot. I'm going to preach four sermon series. Stove burners, when they're on, are hot. And I'm going to have great illustrations. I might even bring a stove up here. Stove burners, when they're on, are hot. <laughs> here's, some, here's some proof. You know what? Get the manual, if you still have it, and read it. You know what? It's going to have a picture of somebody burning their hand. It's going to have a line with a deal through it. It's going to say, keep your kids away from this. The manual is going to say, stove burners are hot. I'm preaching sermons. Stove burners are hot. If you go to the library right now and get a book on heat, and it tells you about heat and how it heats up and why it's hot, it's going to tell you the stove burner is hot. Now, the stove burner is hot. I'm telling you that. The manual says it. The book on heat says it. But if that's not enough, if you were to assemble a panel of experts, you get a whole bunch of folks, and they're experts in stove burners are hot, PhD. That's what they have. And you bring them in, they say, if you turn it on, it gets red and it gets hot. If you leave your pot there, it'll begin to boil. Stove burners are hot. The whole panel's in agreement. If somebody comes in and says, you know what? I have a personal experience with a stove burner. You say, well, good, we have a panel right here. We got a book over here. We got a sermon series over there. We can add you to this. And they say, you know what? I'm a cook. And when I cook, I turn on the stove burner. And I've been noticing this. It always happens. Since 1972, when I got my stove, here's what I've noticed. It always gets hot. I turn it on, it gets hot. And I put the malt meal on, guess what uh, it does? It gets hot. We have a personal story. Somebody cooks, it gets hot. One day, we got all that evidence. We bring in our child and say they're nine years old. And they've heard the sermons, and they've heard the manual, and they've seen the book on heat, and they've heard the panel of experts. They've heard the personal story. And one day, they're in the kitchen, and the stove burner is on, and they place their little nine-year-old hand on the burner, and it burns into their hand, and they jerk their hand up, and they, they yell, and they knock something over, and they cry. And their, their, their experience, what they have come to know is stove burners are hot. Here's what I want to tell you I believe happens. I believe that stays with you. And I think that's the same with all truth. I believe that stays with you. I believe you catch that kid and they're 64 years old now and you say, hey, 
Our stove burner's hot, and we turn it on, and you grab their hand. They go say, hey, stove burners are hot. Even when they're old, they didn't depart from it. I think it's the same with all truth. I think it's the same with all truth. You go outside and a rock falls on your head, guess what? I don't go outside. I don't believe in gravity anymore. I'm 72. I don't believe in gravity. You believe in gravity. Breathing underwater. You know what? <laughs> I almost choked when I was nine. You're 77. I don't believe. I can, I can do it now. I can breathe underwater. I believe when you have the truth and you know the truth and you receive the truth and you personally embrace the truth, I believe the truth stays with you. I think that's the truth of God's Word. And so I'll tell you this. Why do we endeavor to train them up in the way of the Lord? Why do we endeavor to train them up in the truth of God's Word? It's because the truth once grasped, I believe, stays with you. One verse about our whole sermon right there. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. God tells us how to raise our kids in verse 6. He now begins to tell us how to handle our finances in verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor. Now, I want to be sure to say this. God doesn't care if you're rich. And God's doesn't, he's not impressed by that. God doesn't care if you're poor. That's not what this is saying. That's not what this is talking about. But the truth of the matter is this. The poor, they end up submitting to the rich. They end up serving the rich. Now you say, well, how does that happen? How does that occur? Well, it tells us. It says, because the borrower becomes the lender's servant. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. That's what it says. And so understand verse 7 is a warning about borrowing money. Now, it could be a loan at the bank. could be a car loan. could be credit card debt. could be store credit. But when you borrow money, you end up, listen to me, paying for the use of the money instead of paying for the good that you intended. That's what happens when you borrow money. You're serving, you're paying, you're working to pay for the use of the money instead of the good that you intended to use. You are working not for the things you consume. You're working what? To pay the person or the people that loans you the money. You become a servant of the rich. Let me tell you this, and it's biblical. Most of the time, debt is a sign that you've spent more than you can afford. And that's what they intend. That's why they, they say, you know what, you can get a three-year car loan, you can get a five-year car loan. Now I think to pay for them, you've got to get a 12-year car loan. Debt is a sign you've spent more than you can afford. Now we could talk about mortgage debt, we could talk about debt, business debt, but for sure consumer debt is a sign that you wanted something right now that you couldn't afford to pay for, and so you, you agreed to pay somebody else for their use of their money that you might have that thing right now. Here's what the Bible says. Be warned about that. You end up as a slave to the lender. Verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, 
and the rod of his fury will perish. That's kind of weird. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. It is a common biblical truth. I think we understand this. What you do matters. That's what we're seeing through Proverbs. How you live matters. This is the best way to live. What you do matters. Well, here's the common truth. What you sow, you shall reap. The law of sowing and reaping. If you go out and you plant wheat, guess what you're going to harvest? You're going to harvest wheat. You go out and you plant zinnias, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have zinnias. What it is that you sow in God's system that he ordains, you're going to reap a harvest of that. Now, we should remember that in a positive fashion. And I think sometimes we forget that, but it holds true for that as well. If you want this thing, if you want to enjoy this thing, if you want an abundance of this thing, then sow that thing. If you want to experience kindness, then sow kindness, and you'll reap a harvest of kindness. However, in a negative sense, if you sow sin, and that's what you plant, you sow trouble, you sow wrong, the verse says you'll reap vanity. The word for vanity, we've talked about it in several different contexts, it's the idea that something appears to be something, but it's not. It really is the meaning of emptiness. It looks like there's something there, but when you get there, there's nothing there. It looks like it's full, but when you look into it, it is empty. And so when you sow in trouble, in sin, in the wrong thing, hey, look there, we've got something, and it looks like it's got value. When you get there, it's vain, it's empty. There is no value. You go around doing the wrong thing, you go around inflicting the wrong thing on others, you're going to reap nothingness, nothing of value, no reward. It says the rod of fury. Now that's talking about the rod that drives that, the rod that inflicts the wrong. It says it will come to an end. It will perish. Here's the truth. Sin leads to death. Always does. Sin ends in death. Well, you know what? If that's the mechanism that you sow with, one day it's going to look like something, and one day that, that mechanism is going to be gone. Let me give you an example. How many people have built something, maybe an empire, in wrongdoing? And they did the wrong thing, and that's how they prospered. They cheated people, and that's how they prospered. They, they, mis, they mistreated folks, and that's how they prospered. And if you can watch long enough, at the end, it came to nothing or it did not matter at all. And you, and you step back and say, that's impressive. And man, that looks like something. And in the end, it does not matter at all. Here's the teaching of verse 8. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. We ought to tell ourselves that. We ought to teach our kids that. We ought to tell our church that. Do the right thing. At all times, do the right thing. At all costs, do the right thing. If nobody's looking, do the right thing. What's the right thing? Do the right thing. Continuing it on, verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. 
Now, here's another biblical truth. We see it here. We see it in several other places. Here's the biblical truth. God loves a generous person. God loves a generous person. Here's what the Bible says. God blesses a generous person. Now, on top of all that, God tells us to be generous people. The command of Scripture is that we should be generous people. God loves generous people. God blesses generous people. God tells us to be generous people. You know why that is? It's because he is generous. He is gracious. He is giving. Well, this person in this verse, here in the example, they see a person in need. They see a person that is hungry, and they give them some of their food. They're generous to that person. Now, that could take many shapes. It doesn't have to be just that example. It could take many different shapes. The person sees a need and answers the need. I was thinking about this. What keeps us from being generous? And not, not everybody's generous. In fact, most people aren't generous. What keeps us from being generous people? And I just started to kind of make an outline and just draw it out. What would keep us, me, you, from being generous? Here's a couple things I came up with. Number one is just pride. That's my thing. I earned that thing. I bought that thing, and that's my thing. Just straight up pride. Tied very close to that is greed. I want more, and I want yours, and I want mine for sure, and I'm not going to give you some of mine. Just straight up greed makes us not generous. Prejudice. We look down on somebody. You know what? You know why you don't have that? You're too dumb to have that. You know why you don't have that? You don't deserve to have that. You know what? If you were like me and smart like me and good looking like me, you might have that, but you don't have that, so you're not. Just straight prejudice. Here's another one that causes people not to be generous. Fear. What if I run out of that? What if I, what if I get stuck and I don't have any more of that? What if I give away all my money and I'm found and I need somebody to help me? What if, what if, what if? Here's another one. Maybe one of the bigger ones. Apathy. When it comes to other people. You know what that is? That's the opposite of love. Love says, you know what, I'm concerned about you. I see you. And I want to be gracious to you, and I want to bless you. Apathy says, you know what, I'm just doing my thing. I'm worried about me, and I don't even consider you. Just straight apathy when it comes to other people. You know what, I'm busy doing my thing. Leave me alone. I am apathetic. That is the opposite of love. Here's something I've noticed. And I, I don't know, I've tried to think of examples, and I don't know one where I'm wrong. But here's what I've noticed. I have noticed... Generous people are pretty happy people. You ever notice that? I've never seen a foul, generous person. Go ahead and take it. <laughs> You're hungry, eat that then. I've never seen a foul, generous person. Generally, they're pretty happy people. Smiling, joyful, happy. You know what I've noticed also? I've noticed the opposite as well. And I've noticed people that aren't generous, and you know what, they may be pretty sore, they may be pretty upset, they may be pretty foul. He who is generous, God says, will be blessed. For he gives some of his food to the poor. Verse 10, we're going to end with verse 10 tonight. Verse 10, drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Listen to God's wisdom. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. 
even strife and dishonor will cease. Now, let me just tell you, verse 10 is a hard verse, and it is a difficult verse to practice. I'll be honest with you. It is a difficult verse to practice, yet this is the truth. Now, let me explain this to you. Most of us, and I'm going to say most of us, we are taught to avoid trouble. I don't, I don't really look around here and say, I see someone here, they just love trouble. Most of us are taught to avoid conflict. We don't like conflict. We don't like trouble. We're taught to avoid it. We do not like chaos. We do not like division. So we walk around it. That's how we're built. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to mess with that. So we walk around it. Most of us are built, and I'm going to tell you it's in kindness, to overlook a troublemaker. And so someone, man, they rear up and they cause trouble, and that's what they do, and it's the pattern of their life. Most of us don't like to deal with that. We don't like trouble. We're kind-hearted. I'd rather not get in a fight today. And so we skirt around troublemakers. We overlook troublemakers. gum. here's what I've noticed. Most of the time, that results in a terrible outcome. That's just the truth. Most of the time, if you don't deal with it, guess what they do? They get bigger. They get bolder. They suck people in, and you got bigger trouble. The Hebrew word for scoffer, listen to this. It literally means to interpret in derision. And so any situation, they interpret the the, the thing that's happened, the circumstance, in derision. And what that means practically is this. They take issue with all things. They take issue with all things. If you do this thing, they don't like that thing. If you say this thing, they don't like that thing. They interpret all things with derision. It means to scorn and to mock. It's not good enough. They're not happy with it. There's a problem with that. If there's not a problem with that, there's coming a problem with that. They interpret through the lens of derision, and they scorn and they mock all things. Here's what the Bible says. Drive them out. Drive them out. Push them out. Now, that's not a gentle picture. <laughs> Sometimes we read things in the Scripture and go, is that really what that says? Is that really what Jesus would do? Now, it doesn't say physically, <laughs> it doesn't say throw them out. It doesn't say grab them and throw them out of there. Sometimes we'd like to, I'll tell you that. But it says be done with them. Give them no place. Give them no platform. Push them out. Be done with them. Don't tiptoe around them. Be done with them. It says, and when you do, here's what will happen. Contention will go out. That word means conflicts. A person that takes issue with everything, push them out, guess what goes away? Conflicts goes, go away. It says strife will end or cease. It means, that word means fighting. Fighting ends. Quarreling, it means quarreling. Quarreling ends. It ceases. It's over. Here's a, a word I thought was interesting. In our translation, it says dishonor. It means insults will end, will cease. Think about this. Isn't this usually how they work? They never really debate the issue. They debate the people. They tear down the people. And that's usually how they work. And they come along and they take personal shots. Well, that person did this. Well, you do that. 
well, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And they, they take issue, and they, they insult the people. They insult the people they have the issue with. They take personal shots. Here's what the Bible says. Be done with them. Be done with them. Now, we see this everywhere, but we see it in the church. And I, and I think maybe the church is worse because we think we're the church. And we, we can't push somebody out. We can't, we can't do that. We have, we have to be the extra mile. And so we, we put up with it. We have folks, and they're divisive at all turns. They stir up conflict at all turns. They're happy with nothing at all turns. And we say, well, praise the Lord, that's just how they are. Let me tell you the best way to uphold this. And maybe we need to start thinking about this. But the best way to uphold this, here's what I found is as a group. You see, it's hard to leave it to one person. Everybody else acts like they can't see it, and some person has to go deal with it. Here's what we ought to say as a group. Here's what we ought to say as a group of folks following Jesus Christ. Here's what we ought to say as a group of folks that know we carry the name and the honor of Jesus Christ. We do not tolerate this. We are not looking for this. We do not accept this. We love peace. We love joy. We have no room for this attitude. All right, we're going to end right there. Here's how we're going to end. I go through that. Maybe God's speaking to you in one of those things. Maybe God's speaking to you in all those things. Maybe God's got a message for you. Maybe he's building you for something that's about to happen. You don't even know what it is. But as we end, I also think this. What if you hear that tonight and you think, I didn't train up a child, not that word, not like that, in the way they should go? What if you say, you know what, I haven't handled my money that way. And you know what, I've messed up in the handling of my money and I, I didn't do it like this. What if you sit there and say, I haven't done the right things. I've I've sowed trouble. Now I'm reaping some of that trouble. I haven't done the right things. What if you say, you know what, I haven't been generous. That that hasn't been my pattern or my heart. What, What if you're the one that's always contentious? Those are real possibilities. Well, I want to tell you, God has an answer for that, and that is this. Repent and turn to Christ. And he will forgive you, and he will restore you, and the best way still stands. Sometimes we act like, well, we've messed up the best way. The best way still stands. And you know what? However we've messed things up, if we'll repent, and if we'll turn to Christ, and we'll submit and walk with Christ in obedience, the best way still stands. Maybe that's why we're here tonight, saying, you know what? I need to ask God to forgive me some things. I need to turn and walk with him. In some of these things. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful that it is not dead. And I'm thankful that it is living and active. And I'm thankful that it's relevant for us right now. And I'm thankful for each of us hearing in the building tonight, those hearing in a different way, that you're preparing us and you're teaching us and you're building us and you're shaping us. Maybe for the things we've already put ourselves, the situations we already find ourselves in, maybe for things that are coming. But I pray, Lord, that we would submit to you 
And we would walk with you. And we would, we would defer to your wisdom. And we would walk in obedience. And Lord, I'm thankful that when we've messed it up, every piece of it, that you're gracious. You do not laugh at us. You're not going to write us off, but you'll forgive us. You'll restore us. And you'll set us back up on the path of righteousness still for your name's sake. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, we come and we're thankful for this Lord's Day again. I pray, Lord, as we end it, that we would be different. I pray, Lord, as we, as we end it, that our attitudes, our hearts would be different. And I pray more than anything, Lord, as, as we head into a new, what promises every week to be a crazy week, I pray that we would understand people around us need Jesus. And somebody right around us needs hope. And somebody around us is, is looking. And I pray, Lord, that we would be ambassadors of the good news, agents of peace, professors of the gospel of Jesus. Help us in that. Put someone in our path this week, Lord. Give us boldness this week. Use us for your grand purpose this week, Lord. We come and we just say we love you and we praise you. We thank you. We worship you. We exalt you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.